This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'd always been afraid of Scorpion River. Ever since I was eight, I'd gone with my aunt, uncle, and older cousin to the wilderness of southern Arizona where we'd spend two nights in their rickety blue camper. We weren't alone. Around ten other families joined us for that December weekend. The adults around the fire, swapping stories of better days, back when the economy was stable and kids respected their elders. The seven or so of us children quickly grew bored with the talk and went exploring. To call Scorpion River a river was an overstatement. Water only ran there once or twice a year. The rest of the time, it was just an expanse of sand. Our campsite was close to the river, yet the sandy cliffs meant that one had to find through half a mile of cat claws and ancient mesquite trees to get to it. Yet every day without fail, we'd make the trip. It was worth it to play games of tag in the flat sand or make forts below the huge cottonwoods which lined that part of the river. Every time an adult would come with us, much to our annoyance, they made sure we kept to the stretch of cottonwoods. The only time we were allowed to leave that was when the group of adults decided to hike to what we called the funnel. The funnel was a natural rock formation, a vertical tunnel cut up through the cliffs on the other side of the river. It was beautiful, a pipe of smooth reddish stone which seemed to lead up into the sky itself. It was easily my favorite part of the trip. The only thing I didn't like was getting there. To reach the funnel, we had to pass through what I called Raven Forest. Here, the trees were close together, the bark blackened by some ancient fire. Every time we went through, a screeching of ravens would fill the air. The light played tricks on your eyes, making it seem as if there were figures standing in the shadows. As I grew older, the feeling of unease grew, too. I began to hear whispering in the trees, voices always too low to be understood, but distinctly unfriendly. I spoke about it to my cousin, Jade, but she dismissed it, telling me it was my imagination. Every year, though, more and more strange things would happen. Explainable, but just strange enough to put me on edge. Nothing stayed where we put it. Camper doors would open and close on their own accord. The campfire would sometimes flare without warning. My aunt and uncle once brought their German shepherd, thinking he would have a fun time running around with the kids. For the entire trip, he stayed close to camp, whimpering whenever we attempted to get him to come down to the river with us. As strange as things got, nothing downright out of the ordinary happened. Not until one year, the year Jade and I turned 18, when my 16-year-old cousin Mason decided to come camping with us. He was a tall youth, big for his age, football player with something to prove. As there were three of us, and we were older now, my aunt and uncle decided we could go out and buy ourselves. Every chance we got, we went down to the river to explore, no longer hindered by the younger children. Jade Mason often got annoyed with me, as I always refused to enter Raven Forest. Jade wanted to climb the trees as she was going through a gymnastic phase, while Mason wanted to prove he wasn't afraid of an old spooky forest. One evening, the two couldn't stand it anymore, and told me that they were going whether I came with them or not. I declined, and the two disappeared into the woods, leaving me alone at the edge of the river. 
I sat down on the little cliff and waited as the sun began to sink below the tree line. I gradually became aware of a horrible smell coming from a nearby stand of bushes. I grew curious and went over to investigate. The bushes were low and thorny, forcing me to crawl to get through. I crawled on my hands and knees over the uneven ground, finally stopping when my fingers touched something soft. I took out my flashlight and shone it at the ground. Instantly, I was moving backward, ignoring the thorns which tore at my hair, for lying on the ground was a pile of dead songbirds, heads missing, surrounded by blood and ants. I pulled myself to the edge of the river and stayed there, breathing hard, trying not to throw up. Several minutes later, my cousins returned, talking and laughing. They stopped when they saw me sitting on the ground, cold, shivering. What happened? Jade asked. I numbly pointed toward the stand of trees. The two of them went over to look, returning a moment later, faces grave. What would do that? I asked. Some kind of predator? Jade suggested. You know, like a fox or a coyote or something? Why would he just pile them up like that? There must be 50 of them all lined up in a circle like... Let's leave, Mason interrupted. It's almost dark. We started toward the other side of the river, walking at first, then running. I really think we're overreacting, Jade said when we reached the other side and paused to catch our breath. There must be some logical explanation. Maybe they just happened to be there and weren't arranged like it seemed. Did any of us look very hard? The heads were missing, Mason said. Explain that. They might have rotted away. The longer we talked, the more reasonable the birds seemed. After around ten minutes of proposing the theories, we were calm. Mason decided to try climbing the cliff to get to camp instead of going through the riverbed, which was muddy from a recent rain. he just got a new pair of Rift Converse and didn't want them ruined. Jade and I, knowing how many thorn bushes were between us and camp, decided to go down the river before going up the cliff. We split up. Once we were about halfway up the path, we heard rustling in the bushes. Thinking it was deer, we ignored it and continued. Jade stopped to tie her shoe. We should go up to the funnel, she said, bending down. By ourselves? I asked, scared yet a little excited. Yeah. That'd be... I stopped. Behind her in thorn bushes was a dark shape. It was a hunched humanoid, though in the growing darkness it was hard to make out details. I glanced at Jade, and when I looked back it was gone. What is it? Jade asked. I pointed. There was... Something there. It was probably Mason. She stood up. Hey, Mason, get out here and stop trying to scare us. Oh, come on, he called. I was relieved until he stepped out of the woods on the other side of the trail. There was no way he could have moved that fast and that quietly. I tried to explain what I'd seen to the two of them, but they just laughed it off. We spent the night around the campfire, listening to my uncle play guitar. That night, nothing strange happened, and we all woke early, eager to go on our trip. We left just after the sun rose over the cliffs. In the daylight, the forest was decidedly less creepy. We ran around a half mile down the river before climbing the cliff. This was the first time we'd done it alone, but we were confident we knew the way. At first, everything went pretty well. We found a little trail and started toward the cliff ahead, but pretty soon... I began to notice that this part of the forest wasn't familiar. The trees were even closer together than usual, and even though the sun was now high in the sky, it seemed dark. And then the coyotes began howling. Though I knew they weren't dangerous to humans, it was still eerie, hearing them in the distance. 
Maybe we should go back, I suggested. Nah, Jade said. We can still find the funnel. Let's just get off this path. It should be like a mile west of here. I'll go first, Mason said. I've got a leather jacket. You don't. When we left the path, I thought I heard the whispering that what was hard to hear over the racket my cousin was making by breaking a path through the trees for us. Finally, we reached a small stream bed, long since dried up yet not overgrown. A minute or two later, we reached the funnel. We all knew instantly it wasn't the one we were used to. It was smaller yet went further into the cliff face, more of a canyon than a tunnel. As we entered it, I noticed something far up near the top, around 200 feet above us. It was too far away to make out what it was, so I decided to climb a little way up the side of the other side of the canyon. Meanwhile, Jade and Mason went farther into the canyon. I could still hear them talking as I climbed up as far as the wall as I could get. As I still couldn't see what it was, I decided to take a picture with my phone. I pointed it, snapped the picture, deciding to see if my uncle, who was into photography, could somehow enhance it. I started to climb down and tripped. I landed hard on the floor of the funnel, glad for my thick coat. I heard rustling in the bushes to my left and waited to hear the others laughing at my clumsiness. And yet no sound came. Guys? I called. We're up ahead, Jade replied faintly. I started to go after them, having to squeeze between the trees and under the bushes which clung stubbornly to the dirt floor of the funnel. Suddenly I had the feeling of being watched. Again, branches cracked. I wanted to turn and tell whoever it was to cut it out, but my body wouldn't respond. I froze as the sounds grew closer and closer. The whispering increased in volume. Then the spell was broken when Mason called my name. The frozen feeling disappeared and I turned, ready to confront whatever it was. Nothing was there. I hurried to join my cousins, who stood below the object on the funnel wall. From here it was apparent that it was a bit bigger than I was. Something dripped from it, leaving trails of dark liquid on the pale wall. Around it circled several ravens. Think that's a nest? Jade asked before I could tell them what had happened. Maybe, Mason replied, shading his eyes. We stayed there for a few moments, trying to make out what it was before growing bored. Race you to the entrance, Mason called. He ran off through the trees, ignoring the thorny bushes. Jade and I followed more slowly, knowing we couldn't beat him. Then above the sound of our footsteps, I became aware of a distant voice, rising and falling in some sort of haunting song. It sounded female, but there was something unnatural about it, as if we were hearing a recording played backward. Do you hear that? Jade asked. I nodded. We ran to the entrance of the funnel where we met Mason. Did you hear singing? I asked. No, he replied. What are you talking about? Didn't you hear anything? She shook her head. No, we should head back. We were then confronted by a problem. We didn't know exactly how to get back to the river without having to push our way through thorn bushes. Finally, we had no choice but to start moving. Mason led the way, pushing through thorns and bushes without a care. Jade and I followed more slowly, carefully avoiding the worst of thorns. After a few minutes, the two of us were separated from him. We found ourselves in a circle of thorn bushes with no easy way out. Mason! I called. He didn't respond, though. He couldn't have gone more than ten feet ahead. We sat down, deciding he'd come back eventually. My feeling of unease began to grow. Finally, Jade spoke, voice small and quivering. I... I don't think we're alone. She said. I nodded, feeling my muscles begin to lock with fear. From the direction of the funnel came the sound of something pushing through the trees, 
Jade's eyes met mine, and I knew she could hear it too. We need to get out of here, I said, eyeing the thorns which surrounded us. For some reason, I had no idea how we got inside the little clearing. Sounds were growing louder along with whispering. All at once, I realized something. The voices had never been threatening me. They'd been trying to warn me. I got to my feet and pulled up Jade. We're leaving, I said. I pushed through the bushes, ignoring the stinging of the cuts the thorns left on my arms and face. Jade followed and we ran through the forest. At one point I tripped and Jade pulled me to my feet. The voices weren't whispering anymore, they were screaming. For what seemed like a thousand years we ran through the forest. Though it was only a mile, it felt like a hundred. Finally, we ran out into the river, nearly knocking over Mason. The voices stopped, along with the crashing of whatever was pursuing us. Where were you? He asked as we tried to catch our breath. I've been calling you for hours. Hours? I asked. We weren't apart for more than twenty minutes. He shook his head. I was about to go get help. I noticed that the sun directly overhead when we left the funnel was beginning to set. Jade laughed, the sound a little too high. <laughs> we must have looked dumb, she said, running from nothing like that. Nothing, I asked. We must have imagined it. Really, Jade? It was probably just some animal. We started walking back to camp. And soon I began to believe we'd imagined whatever had happened, too. I heard the sound of the singing and ignored it, decided I was imagining it again. Then I noticed that the other two were looking at me in horror. They could hear it, too. We began running, not stopping until we reached the camp. When we told our stories, the adults just laughed, blaming it on overactive imaginations. My uncle, who'd been living in the area since he was a child, claimed that there was no second funnel. We soon packed up and drove home. As it was late by the time we reached our hometown, I decided to spend the night with Jade and go to my house the following morning. While we were there, I remembered the picture I'd taken from the thing in the funnel. I asked my uncle to enhance it, and he agreed. It'll probably be a nest, he said as he worked. You're probably disturbed the ravens which decided to chase you off. I didn't agree, though I didn't say so. <sighs> Kids, he continued with a smile. I used to be just like you. One time I remember thinking... He stopped, the smile disappearing instantly. He got up, backed away from the computer, and then turned and ran for the phone. Jade and I looked at the enhanced picture. The thing was not a nest. In fact, it was a body, headless like the birds we'd seen in the tree grove, though the picture was still blurry. The jacket the figure wore was unmistakably black leather. On his feet were a pair of bright red converse. Just then the doorbell rang. Girls, my aunt called. Mason's here. The following is a transcript of an interview conducted for an early 2000s television program dedicated to exploring the strange and unexplained. Apart from verbatim retellings of bizarre cases involving alien abductions, ghost sightings, demonic possessions, and so on, the host would also sometimes do in-person interviews with individuals who claimed to have experienced such events, giving them a chance to share their story. The episode featuring this interview was never aired. The full, unedited recordings are exclusively held by the individuals involved in the production of the show, myself included. This has been eating away at me for over two decades now. I feel obligated to share this man's story in some capacity. However, I do want to respect my ex-colleague's wishes to 
not have their identities associated with any of it. As a compromise, I've chosen to present it in transcript format. Feel free to read on and form your own conclusions. November 1st, 2002. Undisclosed Studio Department in Seattle, Washington. Interviewee, Richard Richardson, pseudonym. Interviewer, Jacob Jacobson, pseudonym. And we're back. I have to say, Richard, you aren't an easy man to find, but the important thing is that we got here in the end. All that matters is the destination, right? Right. Okay, so, full disclosure for the folks at home, Richard here only gave us the brief rundown of what he went through while the cameras were off, and let me tell you, it's quite a tale. But we are about to get into the details of it now, so let's take it from the top. Richard? Yeah, well, me and the missus were out for a stroll around Redacted. Used to go climbing there when we were younger, but my knees aren't up for it anymore, so we stuck to the trail. Oh, wait, just a sec. So your wife was with you? You never mentioned that. Having someone there to corroborate your story can go a long way. She was. Got it. Sorry, continue. Yeah, uh, we were keeping on the trail, as I said. If you've been up there, you know the place is usually swarming with hikers, but it was just us that day. At least I think so. No surprise, I guess. The weather was crap. <laughs> that northern weather, eh? I'm from Arizona, so I can't say I relate. And just so we get a timeline going, this happened when, exactly? September. Of this year. Sure was. Oh, wow, so it's still pretty recent for you. I appreciate you opening up and talking to us about it. Sure. Can I keep going? Please. We were walking. We were pretty far up there, just a mile or two more, and we would have reached Redacted. I was ready to call it a day and turn back, but the wife insisted. She wanted us to make the most of our trip. Can't really blame her. Ever since the kids moved out, we hardly ever left the house. Shit, the kids. The interviewee looks away. There's a silence for roughly 30 seconds. Do you need a minute? No, it, it's fine. Where was I? You and your wife were almost at Redacted. What's your wife's name, by the way? Mary. Pseudonym. Okay, so, you and Mary were almost at Redacted. What happened next? We reached the sign. You know the one that tells you you're almost there? Mary took pity on me, bless her heart, and we ended up stopping for a breather. I was picking through my backpack, trying to find my water bottle or whatever, when I suddenly hear, Richard, what the hell was that? I look over. She was pointing at the sky like this. Interviewee gestures upward toward the ceiling. I look up and... Well, there it was. Plain as day. The spaceship? Wasn't a spaceship. Right, right. Sorry. You said it looked like a flying pyramid, was it? An upside-down one, yeah, just floating there below the clouds. Interesting. Could you describe it a little more? How big was it? How did it move, for example? Couldn't judge its size from far away. Could have been as small as a Volkswagen Beetle or as big as a house, maybe even as large as the actual pyramids. It's hard to say. As for how it moved, it didn't, not really. It just floated there, kind of turning on its point a little bit. It's like it had always been there, and we never bothered to notice it. When you say the actual pyramids, I'm guessing you mean the ones in Egypt. Yeah, they were shaped like one of them, except it was upside down and completely black. I mean, black as space, just pitch black, you know? And it had this kind of glossy shine to it, but not like metal. It was more like that stuff they put in pencils. Graphite? That's the one. But it wasn't gray or even really dark gray. It was just black. 
like there was a pyramid-shaped hole in the sky. What did I tell you folks? Extraordinary stuff. This is about where we left off hitting record, so Richard, what went down after that? I mean, for a while, nothing really happened. We just stood there, you know, watching it. I guess we were trying to figure out if we were seeing the same thing. You weren't scared? I don't think so. Confused, more like. What's the word? Entranced. The thing was pretty in a weird way. Like, you know when you're a kid and you find a really shiny stone on the beach? That's the feeling I got looking at it. I wanted to pluck it from the sky and put it in my pocket. What about your wife? Well, she did what I was thinking. I was behind her, holding onto her shoulders so our perspectives were about the same. She reached her hands out and then closed it around the thing. When she put it back down, the thing was gone. The interviewee demonstrates by sticking a hand out toward the camera and closing it. Wait, hold on, I'm sorry. So, Mary, your wife, just snatched the object out of the sky? How? Just like I showed you. Sorry, <laughs> let me rephrase. How on earth did she manage to do that? I thought you guys were the experts, you tell me. All right, gotcha. So, did she have the pyramid in her hand now? I don't... I don't know. She wouldn't show me. I told her to, begged her to, but she kept her hand closed. She had something in there. I knew she did. I could hear it. It hummed to me. It sang to me with a voice in my dreams, and it smelled real nice, like wax and burnt roses. Richard? I wanted to see it, even if it was just for a little bit, just a tiny bit. That would have been enough, but no. No, I wasn't good enough. Everything I've done for her, she wouldn't even give me that. Greedy bitch wanted it all to herself. Okay, Richard, let's reel it back a bit. What happened next? What else? I killed her. The interviewer laughs uncomfortably. <laughs> You're uh, quite the comedian, Richard. Your delivery almost had me convinced. Well, I sure hope so, because that's exactly what happened. She tried to run uphill, but I got her good with a rock right in the back of the head. Bam. She rolled back down. There was a lot of blood. More than I thought there'd be. All right, let's... She was still breathing. Somehow, her fist was still shut tight. I didn't bother looking for a bigger rock. I just stood over her and brought my boot down on her face again and again and again. I thought her skull would explode like in the movies, but it just caved in and this pink-red goop spilled out from the sides, kind of like, Richard! Come on now, let's... Even after all that, her hand was still fucking closed. Can you believe that shit? Even with her brains bashed in, the nagging cunt still finds a way to piss me off. How fucking on brand. The interviewer gestures to camera crew to contact authorities. The interviewee didn't seem to notice. Richard, you do realize what you're admitting to here, right? I am. Okay, cool, cool. Sorry, you threw me for a loop there. So did you figure out what Mary was holding? I did. Managed to pry it out of her in the end. The interviewee reaches into a pocket. The interviewee pulls out his closed fist with something in it. What's that? The face on Mars. Excuse me? Neptune, Saturn's rings, Europa, the great red spot, Andromeda, the milky fucking way, you name it. I'm not sure I follow. It lied to me. The song promised that there'd be more, some higher meaning, you know. It doesn't have to be God, heaven, or hell, or any of that. Just something. I take burning in a lake of fire for all eternity over this, because at least that means there's some purpose to it all, some design, some sense of order, something. Anything. 
Richard, I'm really struggling to follow you here. Can you try and be less vague? What is that thing? The blueprint. The blueprint of what? Everything. Just a bunch of building blocks stacked on top of each other. Every now and then they fall together in just the right order and create things. Worthwhile things. Boom. Planets. Boom. Ocean. Boom. Life. But guess what? It's all just blocks. Doesn't matter how many of them there are. They're all part of the same set. So, kind of like a monkey with a typewriter situation. There's no monkey. There is no anything. Who created the blueprint then? We did. Not us, but what we will become. It's a cycle. We start off on our own little mud balls, and eventually we're out there exploring everything, understanding everything, and every time we reach the same conclusion, it's all meaningless randomly generated. We're all alone, and I don't just mean humans, I mean everyone. So you're saying some advanced extraterrestrial civilization sent this message just to tell you that existence is meaningless. What do you think they do that? Why do musicians write sad songs when they're sad? Why do people leave notes behind before offing themselves? Hell, why are we even having this conversation right now? So, you're saying it's less a message and more like an attempt at catharsis, kind of. All right, Richard, one last question, and I think we can wrap it up. Curious, does that blueprint of yours mention anything about what's outside the universe? What do you mean? If I understand correctly, you're saying that the universe is sort of like a set of Legos, right? You can arrange them in different ways to make things happen, but as you said, there comes a point where you run out of possible combinations. So what happens after that? Does everything start over, or is it just nothingness? I... I don't know. I could try asking, I guess. Interviewee looks visibly distressed. Interviewee grabs keys off coffee table and proceeds to repeatedly stab self in the neck. Burn my brain! Fucking burn it! Burn it to ash! Burn my... And then the recording ends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Thinking back, I believe all this started with the disappearance of my girlfriend. We had an amazing connection, an intensity of spirit and love that felt at all times uplifting and warm. We didn't need words. We simply existed in a state of bonded happiness. I thought that maybe that bliss had kept me oblivious to the terrible things going on around me, but the more I learned, the more I realized that nothing bad had happened before she disappeared. And I don't mean that she left or that I was unable to find her. I was standing outside a movie theater with her and an acquaintance that we'd run into by chance. I said something, he made a funny remark, she laughed, and then she was gone. Nothing remained but a slight breeze from the air spilling into the place where she'd been. The expression on my friend's face slowly dropped as he saw mine. This wasn't a joke, prank, or a trick. 
she'd simply blinked out of existence. Standing there, we discussed what we'd seen in hushed tones. There were several desperate little groups of people walking in and out of the theater, but no one had noticed. Surreptitiously, he and I circled the building, then made a run through the inside. She was nowhere to be found. Eventually, we had no choice but to return to our homes and hope that we'd imagined the whole thing. But hours passed, then a day, then a week. Nobody had seen or heard from her. I called her parents, but never got an answer. I went around to their place, which I vaguely remembered from a holiday visit at some time in the past, peering in the windows. I saw the dining room that I remembered, replete with furniture and settings, but the rest of the house was completely empty. Had they moved out? If so, why was the dining room so furnished? I looked around for passerby, but the quiet suburban street sat desolate and lonely. I went by her work next. The grocery store and the bakery department in which she worked ran lively with bustling energy. I watched random strangers picking out fruit and vegetables in the produce section, oddly relieved to be surrounded by life again. The streets of our hometown had been feeling increasingly deserted, but I'd only truly recognized that creeping sense of isolation once it had been lifted. Here, then, everything was fine. Life was proceeding as normal, save for the absence of my girlfriend. As I'd feared, none of her co-workers had seen her. Beginning to grasp at straws, I headed for my work, hoping that maybe she called and asked for me. I arrived there already uneasy. I recognized the building, certainly. But the area had the same vague aura of quiet emptiness that had surrounded her parents' house. With a dark pit tightening in my stomach, I peered in the front windows. Oh, the front desk sat within, along with all of the pictures on the walls I remembered. I shook my head and laughed quietly myself. It must have been the weekend. Of course nobody was there. Pulling out my key card, I accessed the side door, intent on checking my work phone messages. If she'd called... Everything beyond the reception area was empty. Blank, white walls stretched off into gloomy darkness. I couldn't understand it. I just met her here the other day, right by the front desk. Where had my job gone? My cubicle? My co-workers? I tried to recall them, tried to retrace their faces and personalities, but I succeeded only in summoning hollow impressions and choppy experiences that felt incomplete and second-hand. Returning to the outside of the building, I stood in a daze, unsure of what to do next. While I stood there, staring absently across the parking lot, I noticed a shimmer. The opposite building across the lot began blurring, wavering, then it vanished. For some reason, I ran toward the phenomenon rather than away from it. I had to see something, touch something for myself, coming to the space where it had been. I found a vast, cracked foundation, free of rubble and destruction, save for several few pipes now furiously spilling water from their jutting ends. You! I shouted at a suited businessman at the sidewalk's corner. Me? he asked, lowering his cell phone. Didn't you just come out of there? I asked, indicating the exposed foundation where a building had just been. Yep. Where'd it go? I asked. What do you mean? It's right there, he answered. The building? The building that was here? He seemed confused. There's never been a building there. So what, you work in an unfinished foundation? He nodded. That's my desk sitting over there. Indeed, a single wooden desk sat among jagged bricks. Then why are there pipes shooting water all over the place? I shouted at him. He shrugged. Contractors cutting corners. 
Not believing the surreal conversation, I looked over the building once more, noticed his desk was gone, and turned back, but the sidewalk sat empty before me. At that moment, the true weight of what had been happening began sinking in. I fought a rising panic and tried to think. I'd read stories about things like this, horror, science fiction. There was always a way out. If only one could think hard enough. But in my panicked state, I couldn't recall the content of those tales. I did notice, however, that the businessman I just talked to hadn't been cognizant of the changes, but my acquaintance and my girlfriend's disappearance had been. I had no idea where he lived, so I returned to the outside of the movie theater, hoping that he would notice strange things happening and put two and two together the way I had. I felt a brief surge of hope as I sighted him already sitting on a bench waiting for me. My house is a prop, he greeted me sadly, his head in his hands. The people I know, if they haven't already vanished, seem only shadows of their former selves. It's like the memories and experiences are blinking right out of their heads, the same way the buildings and the streets are. Does anyone else notice? I asked him, sitting next to him on the bench. I chose not to comment on his overly loud despair and uneven tone. I talked to one guy who remained convinced nothing weird was going on, right up until he disappeared too. He shook his head slowly, and for a time we just sat in silence, thinking. Across the movie theater parking lot, one of several trees shimmered, wavered, and vanished. He glanced over at me, and I nodded confirming that I'd seen the two. Another tree went a few minutes later, leaving a slight section of elevated highway visible. The highway blinked out of existence soon after. The entire sky, bright blue, white clouds, and burning sunlight all began shivering and wavering. He and I both straightened at the same time. It's symbolic. He realized aloud, mirroring my thoughts. Units of meaning disappearing one by one. How else could ideas, memories, even the goddamn sky? Hurricane winds blasted us as the sky itself blinked out of existence, leaving only a blank, barren blackness overhead. What could do this? He shouted, gripping the bench. I shook my head. I had an idea based on what I'd seen since she disappeared. But it was insane. Do you think... I yelled over the loud winds. What? We think, therefore we are, right? I shouted. I know I think. Do you? I think so. He yelled back. Then we must really exist, I told him, hanging on. That means there's hope. No more remained to be said. We clung to that bench for dear life as trees, cars, buildings, even the parking lot and movie theater itself flung off into the void, shimmering, wavering, and vanishing as they went. Once the air ran out, we began suffocating. But thankfully, about 15 seconds later, the concept of breathing went too. In muted, horrified relief, we sat like sentient corpses on an aging wooden bench on a small circle of sidewalk. All that remained of the universe. Come on. Please, I said without breath, without words. We had some time left. It wasn't quite the end. She appeared with a few minutes to spare. In the exact spot that she'd vanished, my girlfriend blinked back into existence, her arrival bringing a massive wave of restoration. A split-second sphere of ideation and creation brought everything we'd known back into a roaring moment. Running up to her through the dying breezes of renewal, I grabbed her by the shoulders. You're back! She smiled. I can't believe it. I got back. How long were you gone? I asked, trying not to sound too panicked. It took me a few minutes to fall asleep again, she replied, excited. It was such a good dream. 
I want her to come back more than anything in the world, but it's so rare to actually get back to the same dream. Even though I'd suspected, based on the fact that everything in our surreal existence had been based purely on her experiences and knowledge, the confirmation still hit me somewhere deep. Even as my very soul joined my panic, I forced myself to deliver the words I practiced while watching the world ebb. Listen to me. I don't know if this happens often, or if this is an insane and unique thing in the... in your universe, but... I turned and pointed at our acquaintance. He and I... We're alive. We're actually alive. When you woke up, your dream started falling apart, but we remained, and we experienced every moment of it. I'm actually thinking, I'm actually here, and so is he. She looked back and forth between us, the impact of my words slowly sinking in. But how? I don't know, I told her, trying to get the emotion just right so that she would truly believe. Maybe there are wonders in life that we can possibly know. Maybe you dreamed us into existence. Maybe we were already out there, souls waiting to be born, but your dream universe caught us and pulled us in. But we're here. And I can't begin to describe the horror waiting for us after you're gone. Souls waiting to be born. She asked, dazed. That's not it. I frowned and askance. She looked me in the eyes. You died. You both died. That's why I was so happy to dream about you, to be with you again. Oh. Despair sundered across my shoulders and I slumped. She looked away. This was my favorite memory, just a nice day before the accident. Our mutual acquaintance stood sadly. What does that mean for us? Being dead? What are we? Is there anything you can do? She said nothing for a long moment before an idea seemed to occur to her. I just can't let go, she admitted aloud. But maybe that means we can all be together again. She looked at us both in turn. Hold out. I'll be back. She blinked out of existence. We waited there for hours. A day. A week. I wondered at the difference in time between our reality and hers. She said it had taken a few minutes for her to fall asleep again. Whatever she was doing, I hoped it would be quick, or else we wouldn't be there when she returned. We sat watching the world die for a second time, waiting in quiet hope and silent terror. I had the distinct fear that she would return to a similar dream, a universe of the mind that looked like ours, that she believed was ours, but which contained a version of the two of us that wasn't us. Just facades, just dream figments, faking life. We'd become merely slivers of ourselves bare consciousness and fear. By the time she returned in a flash, all creation blinked back into existence. Somehow stronger this time, brighter. I won't wake up again, she said with a smile and happy conviction. I made sure of that. I took her hand. What did you do? I took a ton of sleeping pills. We'll be together forever now, one way or another. My friend came up alongside us. You did that for us? She nodded, excited. See, I told you, I said to him. You gotta live the role, be the role, even when they're not here. That's the only way they'll believe you enough to do something drastic. They can usually sense our hollowness, like a stain on their mind. The only way to avoid turning into a nightmare is to become one with the dream. What are you talking about? She asked, confused. He grinned wildly. I guess you were right. Go ahead, and you won. 
I matched his grin with one of my own, only wider and hungrier. You're not them? She screamed, realizing her mistake too late. She pulled away, but I had her by the wrist and by the soul. Her weakened body wouldn't be able to protect her mind much longer. Let me go! It's far too late for that, I told her, licking my metaphorical lips in anticipation. The feast was as enjoyable as any other dream I'd eaten, but it was made all the sweeter by the chance to further employ my acting chops. Sitting up, I tested out her limbs one by one, then spoke aloud, listening to the various sounds of her voice. It'd be a challenge convincing others of her purely physical species that I was one of them, but I was more than up for it. For the first time in eons, I was actually... excited. Excitement had almost become an unfamiliar sensation, but it was certainly warranted, as this was certain to be the role of a lifetime. Specifically, her lifetime. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed tonight's stories. I did. I thought they were really, really cool and interesting. And uh, I hope you did too. I don't have any questions relating to stories per se, but I do have one question that I wanted to ask just to get everybody talking in the comment section. What is a movie you've seen recently that you would suggest to someone else? Me personally, my partner and my dad and my mom recently watched Saw X. And if you've seen all of the Saw movies leading up to this one, I highly suggest watching it. It's really, really good. Um, I won't say too much, but just know that it's probably one of... It's up there. It's one of the best in the series, maybe top three. Um, but I don't know if anything can beat the first one. The first one just had such an impact, you know? And of course, it went on to spawn tons and tons of sequels, of course. But if you haven't seen it yet, it's on, I believe, Paramount or Amazon Prime Video. You just rent it. Definitely, definitely suggest checking it out if you're a, a Saw fan, though. It's an incredible movie. So let me know down in the comment section below if you've seen that, what you thought of it, and what's a movie that you saw recently that you think we should all check out. I think it'd be really cool to uh, get to talking about that. And it doesn't have to be a horror movie. Even though we tell scary stories here, it can be any kind of movie. Uh, just let me know down in the comment section below. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Give this video a share to somebody you think would enjoy it. And as always, stay safe out there.